Please follow along with me in Genesis 32 and 33 as Jacob has life-changing circumstances here in different ways and he's left with a limp. His life will never be the same again in many different ways. And we also know what that's like for many of us, don't we? Where we face something that is truly life-changing. It can be an accident, can't it? Maybe we have an accident that leaves us with some sort of physical ailment and injury and we're not quite the same. I'm sure we know people who've had injuries and they're not able to work in the same way as they once were. It might be bereavement. Right? We're just Life is never the same again after that. It leaves a, a, a negative feeling in, in many ways, and those bad things. But there's also things that change our lives, that make us uh, have a good impact on our lives. It might be our, our family or our marriages. And Jacob here, he has life changes, very obviously physically, but also spiritually. Jacob has a new name, which we'll think about later. But many moments in Jacob's life, he has lived up to his name, hasn't he? He is the trickster, the, the twister, the, the cheater from coming in the, his mummy's womb, Rebecca's womb. They were fighting in there. As he exited the womb, he is hanging on to Esau's heel. He cheated Esau. He, he tricked his daddy. He was tricked by Laban, but then was able to, to get his own back in, in, in a little while away. And he runs away from Laban. Constantly, Jacob's been up to some sort of trick throughout and you could argue here he's up to some sort of trick as well as he gives Esau as a 550 animals or so as a bit of a present. But I don't think he is doing a trick this time. What Jacob is doing as we enter chapter 32 is that he's putting things right. He's putting things right. Jacob has been in flight twice now in his life. He's fled from Esau and he's now fleeing from Laban with Rachel, Leah, his football team of boys and his daughter Dinah. And Jacob, he seems to send messengers ahead to meet with Esau and he wants to give them this message that here are the presents and Jacob's coming. Here's some more presents. Don't worry, Jacob is coming behind. Here's some more camels. Don't worry, we're coming behind. But even before he gets that, he sends the messengers and they come back, don't they, with a report. Esau is up there. He is coming to see you, Jacob. And who else? 400 men. (laughs) Sounds like a bit of an army to me, doesn't it? And as Jacob is seeking to put things right, he knows that his relationship with Esau has been a particularly sticky one, hasn't it? It's been a sticky relationship. Jacob has cheated Esau. Esau has given up this birthright of God's promises for a bit of stew. He has tricked Isaac and Esau wants to kill him. The red-headed Esau, the red Mr. Sands, and he wants to see Jacob's red blood on the floor. It's not the best sibling relationship, is it? And Jacob is seeking to, to put things right. Now, some of us are not looking the red blood of our, our brother, <laughs> the poor outs, but we have sticky relationships, don't we? How do we deal with them? Jacob ran away for 20 years, and now he's come to deal with it. He's seeking to, to put things right. He seeks to be gracious in order to find a, a resolution. And for our broken relationships, we pray and we hope, but how are we putting things Right. How can we fix our sticky relationships? 
Maybe it is within our family. We've ignored people for 20 years. It does nobody any good, does it? Maybe it's even within church. Or our relationships are not quite right. And we just let them fester into rot. Never should be trying to do something about it. Seeking to put things right. Because I know those number of weeks ago we left the siblings. Esau praying for Jacob's blood to be on the floor. And we left it hanging there. And there seems to be no hope of resolution in that relationship at all. Sure there doesn't. But what happens in Genesis 33 verse 4. Esau comes with all of his men. And he wraps his hands around Jacob's neck. Not to strangle him. But to give him a hug. And this relationship is restored. All because of God's grace. And we'll see that reflected in Jacob's prayer. And the message that Jacob even sends to, to Esau. All these gifts, but it's all of God's grace. But what does Jacob say in his message? In verses, verse 3. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong chapter, sorry. Genesis 32 and verse 4. He sends messengers, instructs them to say, This is what you'll say to my Lord Esau. This says your servant, Jacob. But what did God say to Rebekah as the children were waging war in her room in chapter 27? That the older would serve the younger. That Esau would be serving Jacob. But what is Jacob saying here? That the younger would serve the older. He's got it the wrong way around, hasn't he? You see, as we seek to put things right, we need to be sticking to God's order. It's important that we stick what God has said and ordained in his words. We're sticking to the right order, his order, within our homes, our marriages. The husband is to be the spiritual leader within that home. Children are to obey their parents. That is the right order. The the tail doesn't wag the dog. The children don't dictate the, the flow of our lives and dictate how we ought to live spiritually. Children are Obey your parents. Within our homes, within the church too. That the elders, we are the, the spiritual leaders. In our workplaces, the bosses, we are to submit to. The leaders in our nation, they are appointed by God. In birth, male and female. It's God's ordained order. We don't mess about with God's order. So as Jacob seeks to put things right, he he gets the order maybe mixed up. But we ought to stick to God's order and try and sort out our sticky relationships by putting things right. And as the messengers are sent and return with this message, with Esau's 400 men coming, that sounds a little bit like an army, Jacob hears and he has a fright. In the middle of his flight, he has a fright and he splits everybody up. He is thinking, isn't he? This is it. I'm going to split all that I have in two. It's a wee bit like if you ever watched the million pound drop where you have to split your money in the four answers and eventually you only have two. You only do it twice. He's like putting half his money on one camp, half his money on the other and he's hoping Esau only goes for one and not the one that he's in. He's almost flipping a coin for what his existence might look like. But this fright that Jacob has as he thinks this is it, this is going to be it. It drives him to pray. And it's important in how Jacob prays. Because it reflects how we ought to pray. And it is praying God's promises. 
you follow along, verse 9, Genesis 32, Jacob, he prays to God, but it's really important that he is using what God's word has already said to him. Jacob, for verse 9, God, you told me to go, and you told me that you were going to be with me. In verse 10, Jacob recognizes that he is unworthy and that God has blessed him immensely. In verse 11, he looks at the situation and he says, you know, please deliver me from my brother. Jacob knows only God can save him, that the only way he could save would be with the Lord. And Jacob, as he prays, prays in confidence. And we can too. Jacob is using the very words that God said to him and he's repeating them back to God, isn't he? He says, you know, God said to him, return and I would do you good. That's exactly what God says. And Jacob's saying, God, this is what you said. He's praying God's word back to God. And that's how we ought to pray. We need to be praying using God's word. To say, this is God, this is what you have promised your people. Pray it to him. But we need to know the word to know what to pray, don't we? He said, Lord, you say in your word, even in a crisis, that we can pray with confidence. In sadness, we can pray for comfort. In pain, we can ask for his strength. In our rejoicing, we can give thanks to God as he tells us and we will receive joy. As we walk through death's valley, you are with me. In the depths of our sin, as we realize how sinful we are, we can call out to God for forgiveness because that is what he has promised. Whenever we want wisdom, what do we do? We ask the Lord for wisdom. We seek his face and we ask for contentment. We ask for boldness and strength for spiritual growth. These promises that God gives to his people in his words. The only way to know how to pray is to know God's words. In John 15, very famous verse, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. What's he mean? Well, we need to remember the bit that comes before that. It's about abiding in Jesus, being planted in Jesus, soaking up Christ and his words. And as we pray the words, ask and we shall receive. Going through death's dark valley, Lord, comfort me, be with me. Trusting in Jesus, you pray that prayer. He is with you. Asking for strength in times of difficulty, looking for comfort in our pain. God's word, we ought to pray it. We say, Lord, you said this, so help me. We can pray God's promises in confidence. Don't rely on yourself, but on God. And as Jacob prays, as he prays God's promises, there's always an action as well, isn't there? There's prayer and action always in the, the Christian life or the follower of God's life. There's a response to praying, and this is what it is for Jacob, and it's in his planning, isn't it? So he prays in verses 9 to 12, but then he has this mad plan. He has all these animals to, to be a present, to, to almost soften it. He, he splits his family in two. But he... He plans, he has a response to praying God's word. So for some of us, we, we pray for family, don't we? That they would come to know and trust the Lord Jesus. For those who aren't trusting in Jesus, 
But is there an action other than that? Do you tell them the gospel? We may pray, oh, we wish there's more people coming to Seaford on a Sunday morning. We pray for that, but do we invite? We need to pray and act. Maybe it's a relationship that is fractured like Jacob and Esau's. We pray about it, but don't we need to do something about it? You might not give away 500 animals. But you might give away a, a coffee and a bun. We need to pray and we need to plan. So we can do so in confidence as we pray God's promises. We need to also put them into action. Jacob has been in flight from Laban. He has this great fright as Esau is approaching. He is afraid for himself and his family's life. He prays and he plans. And if it was your last night on earth, and you knew it was going to be your last night on earth, and you knew someone and his army is going to come to take everything away from you, you might have a restless night as well. And that's exactly what Jacob has, isn't it? He literally wrestles. And we have our very first ever fight night as well. As we see Jacob and this man wrestling at his God, what do we learn? We need to hold on to God. Hold on to God. It's a wrestling match and Jacob, we're told, wrestled in his mother's womb. They were grappling with Esau then. Jacob, as he exited the room, was holding on to Esau's foot. The whole way through his life, Jacob has been wrestling with people, hasn't he? Either in his head, plotting and scheming, or here physically. But as the fight is there, and it's tit for tat as they're fighting and rolling on the dirt, there's a moment comes with just a touch. From the top of his hip to the bottom of his toes and up his back, this searing pain for Jacob. And in that moment, he knew he was not wrestling an ordinary man, but a God-man. And he holds on to God. And as he struggles around in the dirt, we need to hold on to God through the struggle. No, life struggles. Those times in our lives where we feel at times, don't we, as if God is putting us through the ringer, through a wrestling match, where I feel like we're rolling in the dirt and we hardly get a breath, we can't get our energy back to, to go again, and life is so hard. Feels like our face is being held to the dirt and the ground. I feel like we're wrestling with God, one thing after another after another. But what are we to do? We're to hold on to God. In the Bible, Job is a man who knew what suffering was. He lost it all in his property, his family, his reputation, his health. And he's asked to curse God. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bless him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through the struggle, what does Job do? He holds on to God. What are we to do? Hold on to him. Why? He's a God of great power, isn't he? God of great power. Here, Jacob's circumstances are changed in a moment. And we know what those circumstances have been in our lives. That they've left a lasting mark with a moment with a touch. And here, Jacob's hip pops out. And he will limp for the rest of his life. And what does Jacob do in that moment? Although he is in searing pain, 
He holds on to this man. Why? Verse 20, things, verse 26. Jacob says, I will not let you go. His hip is out. He's in pain. This God man is looking to escape. And Jacob says, no way, Jose. You've got power. I know you have power in that moment. You are not just a mere man. And I'm going to hold on to you. And I'm going to hold on to you for all that I have. So he knew this man had power. So does our God. Because this is God. And as Jacob hangs on and asks for blessing. In verse 27. The, the, he's asked for his name. And what is Jacob's name? Well obviously Jacob replies. Jacob. What does he say? He says. Cheater. <laughs> trickster. Jacob in confessing his name shows who he is. It's reflected his personality throughout, hasn't it? It's exactly who he is. He's lived up to his name's reputation. But he has a change of identity, doesn't he? This God God man hears him say Jacob and says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. No longer cheater, The one who is striving with God. One who is holding on to God. The one that's going to follow God. No longer will you be the cheater. And cheating everybody. Think you're going to bring victory yourself. And to bring glory and bless yourself. But you're now going to be called Israel. Or the victor. That God will bring you to victory. A total change of identity. To no longer be depending on himself at all. But only on this God. He has a new name. A change of identity. And as Jacob asks for this blessing, here it is, isn't it? That he has met with God and he has a total change in his life. The blessing of following God, of striving with God in all parts of our lives, whether it be in our homes and in our relationships, whether it be in our our service to him, we have a a new name to serve him, to strive after him. Whether it be in school, whenever things are hard, we have to follow Jesus. Or in our workplaces and our family, we follow Jesus because he gives us the ultimate blessing in the God-man Jesus. Jacob wrestles with the Lord in the dirt. And Jacob, or sorry, Jesus wrestles on the way to the cross, doesn't he? As he sits in the Garden of Gethsemane, as the God, the, the realization of what lies before him, what does Jesus do? He prays to God, but beads of sweat, of blood, fall on his brow. He struggles with it. He is crushed by God as he is wrestling, as he's being nailed to that cross, as our sins are placed on him. And he goes through all that struggle, that wrestling, that crushing from God so that we would be changed and receive eternal blessing. As the fight night ends, see that the dawn rises, the sun comes up, Jacob was in the dirt, holding on for his life, looking for blessing. Looked like he was crushed and defeated as that hip socket was popped out. Just as Jesus, in the night, in the darkness, crushed, hung on that cross, put into that dark tomb. It looked like it was all over, but the dawn comes. And the victor, Christ, arises. And brings a great change into the world. As Jacob gets up. 
and walks to camp. The light would make it very visible as he drags one of his legs behind him of his new physical state. He was truly, life, his life had been changed. He would never be the same. He would have that constant limp, limp to remind him of what he had been through with God. And as he confesses in verse 30, that he had seen God face to face. Jacob met with the, went to bed and met with the Lord. So it leaves us just to end in a very simple question. What would happen if you met with the Lord today? Tonight? From the 12th of July, I've been at eight bedsides. What if I got to yours next? An accident happens. That's happened in the last month. Illness comes suddenly. That's happened in the last month. What if I didn't get to your bedside and you met with the Lord face to face? What would happen? Are you holding on to Jesus for salvation or holding on to yourself? I trust that you're holding on to him because he's the only one that can bring us victory after our death.